Should I look into the camera or should I look at you? That's no. totally up to you. Right. <laughs> you can. <laughs> I think it's always a mix in between. Yeah, hey, okay. I'm Julian Colorossi and I play guitar. <laughs> the Dublin Guitar Duets, you're the, the fourth guitarist I have the pleasure to talk to. And the way I always start those videos is like, as jazz guitarists, we always kind of combine a lot of history in our playing, like, because we usually study the tradition and everything that led up from there. If you could point to the your main influences that make up your playing for yourself. Mm. I kind of went through different periods of history of guitar in terms of what I was influenced by. Like many guitarists, I started off listening to Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix and David Gilmour and those guys. I mean, I was mad into Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and that kind of thing. And then as I moved into different type of music, I, I, I learned a bit more about jazz. I certainly started listening to more of the modern guys, maybe um, people like Kurt Rosenwinkel and Adam Rogers. And then later on to Lagerlund, Mike Moreno, kind of the younger generation. But as I went uh, forward with the years, uh, I started going back and back and back to what I was listening to and uh, being influenced by, for sure. So I would say that uh, in the last few years I've been listening, in terms of guitar, to a lot of... Um, from Peter Bernstein then all the way back, Schofield, Matheny, to uh, the earlier guys, obviously Jim Hall and Wes Montgomery, Pat Martino. I like to think that I try and put my own voice to what I've learned and what's coming out seems to be somewhere 
on that spectrum, <laughs> which I have no, absolutely no idea where it, it is, you know. I like to think that I sound like myself, although, you know, deep inside, I, I'm also always working on that as well. You can't give it, give it for granted because you're always transcribing, learning, and the last thing you want to do is just express yourself by using someone else's words, for sure. So, you know, actually listening to music is one of my favorite things to do, <laughs> even more so than playing, actually. If I'd have to choose to play or to be able to listen to music, I would always choose listening, you know? I like playing, maybe I love playing, but uh, it's not as essential to me as being able to listen to music, I think, yeah. Uh, even before influences like in jazz at this point, uh, what was it that made you start playing the guitar mm. in the first place? Um, I had a, a little bit of a background in music when I was eight. I was lucky enough that my parents pushed me to study some kind of music. So I had some piano lessons. I can't remember the age, but I think it was between eight and 10 or something. And I did it for a while. I got a few lessons. So I got an introduction to music. I was about 15. I think my uncle uh, gave me a gift, which was the song Remains the Same. It's a live album by Led Zeppelin. I was 15 and I just remember uh, sitting down in my bedroom and playing it. I'm just, I stood there for ages, listened to it, and I listened to it at least five times that same day. And I think that that was the start for me of everything, you know. I, I went and, and, and got a guitar, a classical guitar, and I started playing along to, the, to that record. I started singing along, so I started learning some songs and, and comping myself with the guitar. So I kind of started very casually like that, me trying to emulate the records and trying to sing along. So did you get any, any formal lessons at the start with the guitar no. or was it just you trying out? No, I was completely self-taught, but I remember starting to practice already from when I started. It was casual, but at the same time it got very important to me all yeah. of a sudden, you know, I really wanted to be able to play and I wanted to learn, you know, learn chords and learn how to play in time. But it was more about the singing. I started really just singing the songs and comping myself, you know. And then it translated into transcribing some of those solos on those records, you know. Uh, Stay Away to Heaven, I remember <laughs> working on that, you know. It's just, ah, it's great, great memories. But that's how it all started. So I, from then, uh, I, I was self-taught and then I went to a few different guys when I was about 17. Mm. And I was very lucky that I got some really good teachers guitar teachers very soon you know did, like, did they point you into any like jazz direction or whatever was it no one was a heavy metal player but he taught me i remember him showing me c major scale and the chords so he just played he played that yeah i'm, I'm just my head went up what's that <laughs> what i remember because i used to I was, I was always traveling because my school was so far and my guitar lessons were so far because I was so far out on a mountain, you know. But I remember taking the bus to the lessons and on the way back, couldn't wait to see what he taught me. He had just taught me, so I just got the guitar out. I was on the seat and I was trying to, <laughs> trying to figure this out. You know, I was playing that. And, and, and then, I, you know, things like that with him, technique and 
basic sight reading actually i learned how to read a bit with him and now that i thinking back i, I remember how, how lucky i was to, to get these guys you know and then the second guys i went to he, he kind of started talking about modes and a bit more of the kind of jazz guitar theory <laughs> thing you know so that was extremely interesting too and i learned a lot he talked about bossa nova even once i remember he taught me a pattern or something or a chord how to comp it mm. well, that was all incredibly exciting I took it a bit more seriously than when I, I did the audition to get into college to get a music jazz ed education you know then I really started practicing religiously you know for hours I was practicing rhythm I was practicing reading I was practicing so even before starting college at, at that stage I knew nothing about jazz like zero like very, very little. Probably Steely Dan was the closest thing to jazz I had heard when I was 18, you know. And I don't know why, but I just was oblivious to any of the... I didn't even know Miles Davis, John Coltrane were, you know. I knew the name all right, but... Just I never met anyone that was into jazz and told me to check it out, or even the musicians I played with. Nobody ever kind of pointed me that direction, so I was completely oblivious to... Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that happens. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I come from a very small town. Like I, I didn't hear about jazz till I tried to audition for college. Like, I had no clue as well. All right. Sometimes that just... Some, where are you from? I yeah, guess. yeah. That leads to the next part where like I have written here Ireland. What made you choose Ireland and the, the college here, which was New Park, uh, now it's DCU, but you studied there and you taught there subsequently. What made you come here and how was that process? When I just finished school, I, like every kid at 18 or 19, you're trying to find your way forward and you're trying to decide what you want to do. I knew what I wanted to do. I had no doubt in my mind I wanted to play music. At that stage, I was playing already a few gigs with my little rock trio I had. I was singing and playing guitar. Mm. And uh, we had a few gigs and I knew that, that that feeling that I got when I was performing for people, it was the feeling I wanted to chase I wanted more of that and I wanted to do that as a living basically because I, I didn't like school and I didn't like studying things that I wasn't interested in you know? Ireland I was looking into jazz colleges in Europe obviously in Italy there's only conservatories who were just about starting jazz programs back then but they weren't even officially recognized um, by the the schooling system I guess if you could say that so I was looking into different solutions or different options and uh, obviously I came across Berkeley and uh, but financially I couldn't, you know, couldn't even look at that you know or afford that so I came across that to the fact that um, Berkeley had a network of school and Ireland New Park was one of those uh, I had uh, some connection to Ireland because my grandfather and grandmother lived in Waterford for about 20 years so I had been to Ireland to visit them uh, before so um, I guess that was enough of a connection for me to come back here and do the audition. Yeah, then the audition went well. I just packed up. I didn't speak a word of English. Just got my guitar, came over here, lived. Had the um, I was lucky enough to live with um, three other musicians that were attending the college and they were older than me. They were in the year above. So I was always hanging out with them, learning how to speak English and learning things that they were learning. So. Uh, I had the luck of being able to ask questions when I didn't know the answers and uh, they could help me with that, you know, so 
was definitely lucky to to do that but I was also lucky to absorb the Irish culture from those guys by leaving with them and um, I've been living in Ireland now for almost 11 years you know I've I've learned not not only a lot about music but just about about the culture and the people and I absolutely love it you know I think the Irish people it's it's quite a, a special quite a special bunch of people who know how to have a good time they have great humor they're very welcoming I felt welcomed it wasn't always easy obviously when you don't speak English and you're alone but uh, if there's a country who helps you not a country but a group of people that helps you out I think the Irish are definitely up there you know and they know how to have a knock and how to make you feel at ease you know so I'm glad I came here actually you know? that leads into the next part I have here and um, we talk about Ireland Irish culture Irish people and the next thing on the list would be Irish jazz how did you find the scene when you first came here like was it easy for you to to get gigs or to get a connection to the people and how are things happening now um, when I came over it was a different time Ireland was different uh, I think it was about the height the end of the boom the Celtic Tiger it was 2007 so there was a lot of activities around a lot of money floating around and, uh, and there, was, there were a lot of gigs that you could go and see when I came over I remember and that's because I was in college I started going out with that group of people who were into going out to see live gigs, obviously. So I remember being brought to Cabinteely Park where there was this old Gregorian house and there was a series of concerts there. And those were the first live gigs, kind of jazz live gigs I've ever seen. And, and then from there, I remember seeing Louis Stewart straight after and that just blew me away. And I went to see him every week. He used to play every week in the basement. Uh, of uh, Dame Lane, there's a, a club there. I used to do a gig there every week, and I used to go and check it out. And uh, religiously, I loved it. I, I I got so into it that I would take notes at the gigs of what tunes he was playing, and I would go home and, and learn those tunes. And I, you know, it was just I started transcribing him. So I didn't mention him at the start when I was talking about influences, but obviously Louis like every other Irish guitarist, it's probably one of my main influences, you know. And I went to all the gigs back I remember back then, I, there was so much going on, and I was always out, pretty much five nights a week, watching gigs, you know. And then at the same time, I was very lucky that I went to do a gig, a solo gig. I think actually the Tommy Offerty, which was my teacher, recommended me for a gig that he couldn't do uh, in a restaurant so I went in and did the gig and the owner liked it and, and he asked me to do it every week and then from there it became two gigs and then I started inviting players to this gig some of the teachers some of the other players and um, I played with some great people in there the fee was very small and used to play for a small fee and a bit of food remember. but player that's that's the Irish spirit you know they, they just want to help you out and support you uh, I remember going up to people like John Moriarty and, and those guys and, and they were doing the gig, they did the gig with me, you know, and every gig I did like that with those players for me was like a, a kick in the bum and I learned so much from it and uh, not just about music, about business and everything. And that was it, that went on for about three years. I was lucky enough to have about four regular gigs a week, four to five. I was playing solo, duet, trios. And that's really how I learned, aside from practicing very hard and going to college, but I think you really learn 
on the battlefield, you know, this type of music. You kind of have to be out there playing with people and experiencing other people's time feel and other people's taste and so much to learn, you know. It's not just about going out and playing a tune. I mean, it's the volume, the play at the right volume in the restaurant. You have to be able to deal with people well. You have to be able to, you have to, be able to look smart and show up in time be professional. So I feel that that was an, an incredible lesson for me, those restaurant gigs, you know. Yeah, I was going out to see gigs and I was playing restaurant gigs, that's how it all started. From that on um, towards, you just mentioned Newport as like the school with the Berkeley Network, how probably most people find out about it and, and move here and, and study there. You went on to teach there. In fact, like you were one of the first teachers I had there in like the group guitar lesson, the guitar lab. How did that happen that you got to teach there? And how was the experience for you teaching all these young kind of guitarists like from all over the place with all different influences and you have to show them drop two voices? For me, it was a, an incredible honor to be able to, because um, I was quite young when I started teaching there and I was lit, only out of college a couple of years. So for me to have the possibility to sit down and go, okay, I'm I gotta get organized, I gotta prepare this, this and that, because I'm gonna be paid to teach some guitarists who are embarking on the same journey I took. So I knew exactly what kind of responsibility I was taking on by teaching something in a place like that. There would be a lot of students that had the same dream that I had. So I knew I had to be honest, and uh, give, to give it justice, I had to give it my best. So I took it very seriously. It started by the fact that I was living right beside the college. So anytime that they were stuck for a depth, because obviously musicians are always on tour. So if somebody is not able to go and teach that day, they might need somebody quick to show up and, and take the lesson. So that's what started happening. And I think then what happened was that one of the other guitar teachers, Chris Guilfold, uh, went and did his masters away for a year, so I was asked to cover his position basically, and that's when I met you mm -hmm. and I, I did the lab and all that. Aside from the fact that I learned so much from every single guitarist I saw there, and that's it. Everybody had different influences and different personalities. So not only I learned about music, I also learned a lot about social skills and how to deal with certain different personalities. As every Every person that comes from a different country has a specific way of, you know, speaking to the other peers or speaking to your teachers and stuff. And that was incredibly interesting and um, a massive learning curve for me. So I'm very grateful to be able to have done that kind of thing. It's certainly something that I will never feel ready for, uh, teaching other, other guitars, because uh, I'm very much a student and uh, I will always probably continue to be. Um, but I like to think that uh, sharing what I know might help other people uh, getting to solutions a bit quicker than I did. Uh, some things I <laughs> spent so much time on uh, and then uh, maybe all it took was somebody to say, oh, maybe check out this recording, you know, and uh, you can hear how, how this guy does it. So if I can do that for someone, that's enough for me to be happy about, you know. And just to, to cop onto that, uh, one of the things I got from you and uh, continuously over the one year and even after I met you, you were always very strong on learning by ear. Like I remember when, when we talked about standards or playing a tune, you were always like, many people in my generation often would know the, the lead sheet or even just the aerial book. 
but you always struck me as someone who always goes back to the recording and pro preferably a very old recording to really get the changes. How did you get that approach and what made you, because it's pretty hard at the start, like what, what made you go through with that? I thought about it when I was learning stuff in college. Obviously in college there has to be some sort of a method that you have to follow because it's quite global for whoever is in it. There needs to be a direction that everybody can take. You can't specifically tailor a program for each one of the students. So I understand why jazz education has become what it has, what it is today. So you kind of follow your scales, patterns, your modes, your drop two chords, all of that stuff, you know. I understand why it's taught and learned like that. There needs to be some kind of structure. But I feel that that, once you're in college, you're so obsessed with that because obviously you want to learn, you're investing your time and money into something that all of a sudden, all of that becomes your bread and butter, your everyday bread and butter. And that could take away from the music, I feel, uh, because all of a sudden, if you have a chord, you see the chord as this, then all of a sudden. And you don't see it anymore as... as as a caller, as a, I don't know, it, 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 it's a hard thing to explain. I feel that structure is good, but then you also need something that brings you back to, the, to what brought you to that place in the, in the first place. So I feel that learning by ear, is, uh, it does exactly that, breaks all the rules, it takes away the structure uh, of the lead sheet. The lead sheet, when you look at a tune, I feel if I see the lead sheet, if I see the music of it, it changes, that tune for me changes forever. Because all of a sudden it's boxed into one particular thing. I have quite a, I don't have a photographic memory, but I'm very visual with how I, I approach things. And if I see something, I tend to remember it. And if I see a tune, then that's, that sheet is going to be stuck, that music sheet is going to be stuck in my head. And that, to me, really boxes it in. That's another thing is I realize that a lot of the things that are written are not particularly right. There's things that, again, they have to be written a certain way because they're globalized and people are, for people to learn. But uh, I feel that um, you can only get the true spirit of, of a tune by listening to some great players approaching it, but also to the oldest recording as possible to make sure that nobody else that has seen the lead sheet has played it like the lead sheet. So play it from a record where people just play it by ear to really catch the, the soul of that particular thing. You go a little bit into, into the end of that, which we always, you talked about like what's that chord, what's that sound. An important part of sound, well, is obviously you're playing in your fingers at the start, but like the instrument you use is kind of interesting. Like I knew you when you played for years like a, a Gibson 335, I think it was. Yeah. And recently, or not well, recently in terms of a couple of years, you changed to the guitar you have mm -hmm. right now in front of you. Can you just tell us about this particular guitar and why you went down that route? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a massive uh, gear expert, but uh, I know that um, the 335 I had, this Gibson, had a great, had a great sound, you know, but it never felt right playing it for me. It always felt hard for some reason. And it was set up incredibly well by John Moriarty, which is, you know, probably the greatest lute here we have in this country. It never really felt 
never facilitated what I was hearing, if I could say that. I was getting a really good sound because I, I was putting it through this little old polytone amp. And I noticed when I played other pe people's guitars, I felt that when I was playing it more acoustic guitars, it just felt easier. It made more sense to me. And uh, I just came across this guitar and, and I had the, um, had the nice acoustic sound I wanted, but not so much that I would be struggling on a live gig when a drummer would be playing in. Because when you're playing a more acoustic instrument, obviously you're going to have uh, kind of sort of different problems uh, acoustically. Uh, but with this one, it's quite a, it's got a nice acoustic sound. But then it also, it's made in a way that doesn't fit back John again, um, he did some work on the neck, on the frets, because uh, it felt nice, I, I liked the sound, but it didn't quite feel just as right when I got it, the way I got it. So he did some work on the frets and um, changed the spacing of the strings and things like that, and he made sure that every note was coming out at the same volume. It's very important to me on the guitar. You don't want any kind of sort of area of the car to just pop out because when you're playing a phrase all of a sudden you either disappear or it's coming out too much you know but that happens to a lot of guitars we're very lucky to have people who can help us with that kind of thing you know i'm it's a bit useless with that sort of thing even adjusting the neck when the the weather changes i always mess it up and i have to bring it back to john <laughs> so i got here we go again but uh no i'm extremely happy now it's Sounds great. I'm not, I'm not particularly attached to my own guitars, though. You know, I could I could be playing any guitar really. It's 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 down to your kind of touch and down to your own kind of personality, how you express yourself. The guitar it's definitely a tool that can help you or stop you doing that. So it definitely for me, as long as it's a good you know it's a good instrument which does it does justice to to the music, then it's fine. You know, I'm not particularly precious about it or anything you know and hence my gear i just have a, an old polytone amp which i bought from john and moriarty as well many years ago since then i never got anything else i've played through many different type of amps but the fender twin i like but it's just too heavy to carry around this is small and you can bring it around to gigs it's been banged around a lot of gigs and uh, it broke a few times but at the same time it's a transistor amp so i don't have to worry about the valve so i'm happy that you know it's got enough power in it so and I've got a simple setup, just a little reverb uh, pedal or sometimes a delay, depending on what I'm playing. And that's about it, gear-wise. Just uh, two more things about your playing and your projects. One of the, the first things I see in you, or many people see in you, probably is your quartet. Which is funny, as in my mind, a similar trajectory than, than your own research and learning in the playing. Like, I heard your quartet uh, probably in 2014, the first time in the international and I listened to the record, uh, Note to Self, which is way more, in a way, it's way less swing than what you would play now with your quartet, with partly the same people, partly not the same people, but like the trajectory is definitely, now when I hear you with a quartet, it sounds more like the, a little bit closer to the tradition than it sounded back then. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, my first record was made in 2011 released around then I think 2012 something like that yeah I still had the other guitar and I was into 
a different type of music. Definitely, I was checking out more of the modern jazz stuff. Certainly, it was different from what I'm into now. Yeah, I remember some wonderful experiences and stuff. But it kind of came to an end when I realized that my sound was changing in my head. That was another incredible learning curve for me. Going into the studio with your own band when you're just a green kid who doesn't really know what he's doing because I didn't have much experience. Not that I have now, but <laughs> certainly I have a bit more. That that was um, we did the record, we did some gigs, and and that was that. And then I just started playing with different people. Started gigging with um, Johnny Taylor, Dominic Mullen, Barry Donahue, which are people that I'm still playing right now with. And uh, started a cycle of gigs, uh, writing, and music that's been going on since then. Probably 2013 it started. Then I got the guitar. Things changed for me during those years, and I, I never re-recorded because I never felt ready for it. But I was writing a lot, new stuff, new things, and I was playing a lot with these guys. So I was playing pretty much regularly every week. It's only until this year, which I went back to the studio with that quartet, same quartet, and we recorded a new album. But this time, I didn't want to do it the same way I did in the past, just a quartet record, because my influences were different. Again, I, I didn't know if I wanted to listen to another quartet guitar record. I, I was just thinking, is it something that I really want to listen to, another jazz quartet? I, I, I wasn't sure that was what I wanted when I was hearing, because I also felt that, I don't know if as a guitarist you feel this way, but sometimes I feel that you don't have enough power with the instrument you're playing to carry a melody as well as a trumpet would, but also you don't have just enough presence as a piano would comping or making the bed uh, for the melody to give it justice. So I always felt that my instrument was absolutely useless in my own quartet. I should have had a trumpet, a piano, and bass and drums. So I was like, I don't think this has enough of an impact. You know, the tunes are not speaking the melody is not speaking as much as it should you know i met a singer a singer called Jama Sugru, incredible singer and she happened to move to dublin at the same time she, i invited her to one of our gigs in the international she sat in with us and uh, i said why don't you try and put some lyrics on one of my songs and we'll try and play it you know and she just did she showed up we didn't even rehearse it she just showed up it just felt it made a lot of sense to me when i heard it all of a sudden so that's what I did. I just gave her my tunes, all the stuff I've been writing in the, in the last three or four years. I've been playing with the guys. She put lyrics to it, then she gave me some of her stuff. I arranged some of her music, and then I arranged some of some standard and made a, a pop tune as well. And that was it. We recorded the album in June, and it's now been released. Our launch gig is in Cork on the 27th of, um, of uh, November, and then Dublin on the 2nd of December in Arthur's. And then we have a gig in Killarney on the 21st of December. But it's going to be available online as well to buy. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy the way it came out. The last thing I have for you on my list is um, projects. That's definitely one, the quartet mm -hmm. with the singer. That's kind of a new side. And that's coming out soon and there's gigs, as you said. Mm -hmm. The other one I just want to touch is like many people know you from your duo playing with uh, John Kyo. Mm -hmm. Julian and John. What kind of different outlet gives that for you? Because you also... Like it's not traditional jazz standard no. guitar duo. Mm. That's another another thing that um, it's part of my past, present, and future very much. As in, um, John came to me. Me and John go back years. You know, he was in college when I was doing college. Um, it's only after college that we started playing together, and he came to me with uh, 
with the restaurant gig. He said, look, I have this restaurant gig I have to cover on a Saturday in town. And uh, I didn't want to do jazz standards, so I thought we could try and some pop tunes as well as some standards or, you know, what do you think? And I said, all right, let, let's try it out. So I, we just started playing, trying out these tunes. And to me, they were all new. I, I, I didn't know, I realized how much I didn't know of that music, the pop music from the 70s and the 80s. I just... But John really exposed me to all of that music. I also had to learn how to play that kind of music because it's, it's a different sort of discipline altogether. It's all about the groove. It's all about how solid you make something. It's about the sound you're making. It's about translating a melody onto the guitar and, and, and transcribing it from the voice. You know, try and put Michael Jackson melody sung by much on the guitar. It's not, not as straightforward as it may seem, you know. So there's a lot of work involved in that, and um, and yeah, and that and that gig was the start of our little projects. It just started as a restaurant gig, and then we decided to make a record because I felt that the imprint that we were putting on these pop tunes was quite artistic and original, and there was a lot of work behind it for sure on the arrangements and stuff. And uh, then we started writing things as well, and uh, that turned into putting on live uh, listening gigs, and we did that for a while uh, upstairs in the Stags Head in town, in Dame Street, and people came to that. It was great, great vibe, you know. We had that I think once a month for a long period of time. People were paying in to come and see us, and um, so we developed the act as we went along, and uh, it turned into many different things during the years, but definitely. Uh, it's definitely been probably the easiest project to gig because it's only two of us. We have one car, two guitars and two amps and we just go and play. Uh, but then we've, we turned it into a little corporate, corporate thing. So we do wedding receptions and we also do corporate events and things like that. Two things going on, you know, the, the financial side of it. And then we also have our second record out and we've just finished writing the third record, which is going to be out probably next year it's going to be two cds and it's going to be full of original material as well just other you know other pop covers but as well maybe some irish tune we're working on so it's very exciting we've done an uh, international gig as well and we've toured ireland we've played our first jazz festival this year at the Galway jazz festival and it was received very very well so um that's uh, it's very much it's a project that's very much alive and exciting yeah, Julian, thanks so much for doing this Thank and you. being part of that. Uh, that's enough from that for now. It was great to have you on. Um, very interesting stuff. I'm sure people will love it. And now let's just play a tune and that's it. Yeah, great. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Just saying that uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be uh, on this video series. So thank you. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be uh, on this video series alongside people like Hugh and, and um, Charlie and Chris and those guys because... Um, I didn't mention it in my influences, but those are probably the other main influences I, I had. You know, all the people I grew up musically around, people like Hugh, John Moriarty, all those guitarists, Chris and Scott Coleman, and all those peers that were in college when I was, they're probably the people I learned the most from, you know, as well as Louis, obviously. But these guys, these are the guys I practiced music with and I came up with and, and uh, I certainly learned a lot of what I know f f by watching them, you know? So, thanks guys. <laughs> cool, that's great, that's perfect ending. Thanks so much. Cool.
Again in the song, let's say play the top note as an F rather than that. Jesus. Kind of a B. Wait, that one. Mm -hmm. Because the melody looks like. 